Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. The ACA is the peak body representing chiropractors in Australia. Hosted by ACA President Dr Anthony Coxon, these podcasts explore the science, art, philosophy and politics of chiropractic, as well as reviewing the latest research and discussing how chiropractors can strive for excellence in practice. Welcome to the Australian Chiropractors Association podcast. I'm your podcast host, Anthony Coxon. Plantar fasciitis, fascial plantar pain, policeman's heel, jogger's heel, it's all the same thing really, and it goes by many names, but heel pain can affect up to 9.6% of the population. It can vary in severity for being quite mild to particularly disabling. And famously, 400-meter hurdling world champion Jana Pittman was plagued by this injury through much of her career. But of course, it can happen to people of all ages and all levels of fitness. In this podcast, we will discuss plantar fasciitis and importantly, what can be done to manage it. My guest today is a frequent visitor to the ACA podcast. Luke Nelson is a chiropractor graduating from RMIT in 2003. Following 16 years in private practice, he recently founded Health and High Performance in Mont Albert North, Melbourne. In 2016, Luke was awarded the ACA's Sports Chiropractor of the Year. And in 2019, Luke was awarded a fellowship as a sports and exercise chiropractor by the Australasian Institute of Chiropractic Education. Now, Luke serves a number of very important roles, including being chair of the ACA Sports and Exercise Clinical Practice Group. I know it's a real mouthful, but we will get through some of these um, uh, today. And he's also vice president of Sports Medicine Australia, the Victorian Committee. Now, Luke's been pivotal with the development of the sports and exercise uh, CPG uh, as a part of ACE. And uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit today and how chiropractors who are interested in sports and exercise can really get involved in that clinical practice group. But as I said before, most importantly, Luke is a regular on the ACA podcast, and that's because he always has such great practical information to share with our listeners. Hi, Luke, and welcome back to the ACA podcast. Thanks, Anthony. You probably could have saved your voice there and just said refer to a previous episode. But, uh, <laughs> it's uh, that's an that's an honour, real honour to be back and and, uh, and and talking with our with our listeners again. So thanks for having me. Uh, very good. And for those who haven't heard uh, Luke before, he's done a great um, podcast on hamstring in- injuries and also uh, preparing for running. And he's actually also sat in my chair for at least one, or is it two interviews where you've uh, interviewed various couple, sports people? Yeah. So, yes. Stu uh, and Craig Liebenson. That's right. Yeah. Yes. That's yep. right. Yes. Here you go. So, yes. Um, well represented, as I said. Now, Today, we're talking about um, plantar fasciitis. Let's maybe start with a bit of a, a brush up on anatomy and physiology of the plantar fascia. What, why is this a, an important part of our anatomy? Well, it's an important part because when it hurts, it's uh, a real pain in the in the heel. And, and anyone that's uh, that has experienced this condition uh, is often left hobbling around first thing in the morning for uh, for the first few steps or, or screaming out in pain. Um, and it can easily afflict your uh, your inactive person as as much as it can your your active person. So obviously, those that are involved in in running sports, it it can uh, can put them out of uh, out of their, their sport and out of action. Um, the 
the plantar fascia is, is actually a, a stabilizer on the underside of the foot. So it's a big sheet of, of uh, ligament. We also sort of consider it a, a tendon in a way. So it's made up of, of three bands and they basically run from the, the heel all the way down to the, uh, to the, the base of the toes there and even then extend down into the toes. Um, we also know that, that it is actually continuous with our Achilles tendon. So the calf muscle comes down, forms the Achilles tendon, and then it actually wraps around the, uh, around the heel and, uh, and blends in with that, so with that plantar fascia. So that's important because we know that um, you, when we're looking, or certainly when we've got someone with plantar heel pain, we need to be looking above as well and look at what's happening with the, uh, with the calf and, and the Achilles. So, and, and for those that, that love my, know my love of, of calves, that's, uh, that's, that's probably no surprise to, uh, to hear uh, in, in assessing that with uh, those with plantar heel pain. So I guess most people don't think of the plantar fascia as having, I guess, properties representative of a, of a tendon. Is it that, if that connection to the Achilles that, that, that gives it that name? Yeah, it's also just the, um, the, the, the substance, which is it's comprised of. So it's sort of like, it's, it's not, it's not technically considered a tendon, but it's sort of a, you know, it's a, it's a thickened, well, it's a thickened layer of, of fascia there as well. So, um, but it's, it's, it's role is to, is to distribute load. So as we, uh, especially as we're, we're coming into contact with the ground, when we're walking and we're running, its job is to uh, distribute that load throughout the arch of the foot, and then also distribute that up into the, uh, up into the, the calf and, and the Achilles there as well. So it serves a really important role in, uh, in gait. So I think many chiropractors will understand uh, at least a little bit about what plantar heel pain might feel like in their patients or what patients might be experiencing, but perhaps you could just articulate what the symptoms classically are. Yeah, so they, they do vary, but the most classic symptom is is pain felt around the heel. So people will often, you know, cup, cup their heel or, or point on the, the inside of the heel is usually where it's felt. So more on what we call the medial side, but the pain can refer down. So some people can get pain traveling all the way down, uh, down the foot, but most of the pain is generally confined around the, the, the heel there. It tends to be worse. You know, we've mentioned before about that classic morning stiffness, and that's, uh, that's pretty typical for this when people get out of bed, but it can also happen um, during the day as well so if people have been sitting down they stand up and you know they've, they've got to take a couple of steps to hobble around there uh, it tends to warm up with with activity and that also tends to apply for, for exercise as well so a lot of people when they're exercising with this it will be sore um, and then after a few minutes it starts to it starts to ease and, and often by sort of towards you know the middle to the end of the session it's feeling a lot better but then often once they've cooled down again after the session it, it can be painful um, but sometimes when it gets when it gets really aggravated, uh, it, it, just, it, just, it doesn't warm up. Um, but there are certainly important differentials to consider, which, which can mimic that. Um, but they're some of the, mo the more classic symptoms. And before we do get into those differentials, is there, um, I, I guess, a differentiating, I guess, a classic type of presentation? I mean, I get the rare situation where the opposite happens, where someone is okay, and then they'll get worse with, uh, with use, which is not the typical plantar fascial kind of presentation. Might that be something that's more representative of a stress fracture or some of those other potential differentials? 
It could be, and that, that's where sort of our differentials around that area. We've got a, we've got a few things that we need to consider. So uh, one is is nerve involvement. So there's a, a nerve around there called the the Baxter's nerve, uh, and that's uh, that can often give pain also around the inside of the foot, which can travel down the down the more towards the outside of the foot, so down towards the uh, towards the pinky. Uh, then we've also got the fat pad, which is that the fat pad is is basically the cushioning of the heel, uh, and that's when we when we land on our heel there, that fat pad helps to to uh, um, increase the surface area and, and distribute those forces. And, uh, and that can become quite agitated. Uh, and then we've also got the other differential consider is a stress fracture. So, which isn't as, as common, um, but stress fractures, the calcaneus, the calcaneus are the second most common stress fracture of the, of the foot. Uh, fortunately, they're, they're not one of the more serious ones, but you, you don't, you, you need to uh, ensure that you don't miss those. Um, and we tend to find with those latter two. So with the, the fat pad agitation and, and the, um, the stress fractures, they're the ones that will often tend to get worse during the session um, and you can have multiple things happening at the same time so you can have some plantar heel pain some involvement at that uh, at that, that insertion there uh, and then you can also have a fat pad involvement too so um, it, it's um, yeah it's not un, un, uncommon to, to find multiple things so just because it's yeah classically not warming up during the session you might have it might be fat pad by itself but then it also might be the uh, plantar, plantar heel um, involvement too. And I guess um, many chiropractors, of course, see um, plantar fasciitis, and um, I can think of two that I've got currently. Um, there, when it's a fairly mild to moderate uh, presentation, um, and it fits that fairly classic kind of uh, criteria, you can be pretty confident. So there you go. There's uh, half. There's one of them the calling you now. Actually, that's, that's, <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll get to that plantar fasciitis patient in just a few moments. Uh, they'll just have to wait a while. Um, so uh, getting back to where was I? There we go. Um, so if it's if it's a fairly straightforward presentation, most chiropractors will feel comfortable about uh, managing this themselves without necessarily um, you know, referring out for ultrasounds or, or x-rays or other studies to determine stress fracture, et cetera. Um, when, what, what's the line that you draw in terms of severity or uh, how long do you expect someone to be under care before they would start to have positive um, responses that will make you feel confident, like I'm on track, I, I don't need to necessarily go ahead and do these extra studies or, or potentially refer out? Yeah, it's a good question. And look, most chiropractors should feel confident in, in managing this condition because a lot, a lot of the time um, it can, it, it's it's not too complicated, although you do have to give yourself time with these. You know, they do take a while to, to settle down, similar to like a lot of the other tendinopathy conditions like your Achilles and and um, uh, and your patellar tendinopathies. They do take a while, you know, they can take months to, to settle, but you 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 will be seeing progress in the in the meantime there. Um, imaging is it's really only used and and I'll only image these uh, if I'm suspecting that there is potentially a, uh, a high grade tear in the plantar, plantar fascia, which isn't, isn't that common. And even still one could argue a lot of those planted plantar fascia tears can be managed conservatively anyway, um, but they may need complete rest. So these are the ones probably if you find that, that it isn't, re isn't responding to your treatment of trying to progressively load it or, or decrease the load temporarily and then increase the load. And if you're finding that it's just not tolerating that, then that's where imaging may be, may be indicating. Also indicated, make sure you also, you know, you've got your differentials and, and you, you really have excluded um, uh, anything else that could be going on around there as well, because you might be off, the, off track there. 
there. Um, but um, but yeah, certainly sometimes those uh, they they really need to to be offloaded um, for a period of time to let them settle. Um, and fortunately, that doesn't happen too often. But I, I've certainly had it happen uh, where we need to put someone in a in a boot for a, for a short period of time. That might be one week or, or so, uh, generally not longer than that, in order to uh, to let it let it settle down. Um, and then there's also, you know, there's there's uh, referral off to um, uh, especially podiatrists or, or sports doctors if you think that there's something else that may be needing to be done around there, uh, whether that's an assessment for orthotics or, um, you know, potential injection or, or shockwave therapy as well too. Um, but I tend to find that most of the time you you don't you don't need those. Um, I guess the where you'd be thinking injection would be if you're in a real bind and you really need to get someone. Uh, really quickly, then then that's something that could be could be used. But the vast majority of times, that uh, that that fortunately isn't uh, isn't required. Okay, so let's assume in uh, our patient's case, who's just called us up, um, we they don't require a referral. They're uh, you know moderate level of discomfort. Uh, we're going to manage this person. What are we going to look to do? Yeah, so the, the, we're lucky that there are a few different treatment options, and and one of the uh, the recent studies back in two thousand and fifteen by Michael Rathleff looked at a couple of different treatment options, and they looked at number one stretching uh, versus strengthening, and uh, and what they've they found was they actually uh, followed this group over over twelve months, and they compared them. Now, what the the different groups did, so the stretching group, what they did was they had um, they did a, a particular type of stretch where they basically put their foot up on their their opposite knee, and then they pull their toe back as, as, as far as they can. And what you'll see when you do this, when you really pull your toe back, so you extend your toe, um, what you'll see is you'll see it um, that the plantar fascia will actually stick out. So it's putting that plantar fascia under tension there. And what they did was they held that for 10 seconds and they repeated that 10 times. So you have a little bit of a rest after each time, do that 10 times in a row, and then you're doing that three times a day. So all up that works out to be, you know, 100 seconds by, by three times during, uh, during the day. So that was the first group. And, uh, and that's every day. Then the other group that they did was they did some strengthening. So what they did was they did a, a type of calf raise variation. So what you do is you set up on a, on a step um, for a calf raise and you have a rolled up towel. So there's a few things you can use here. One is you can use, use a rolled up towel. The other thing you can use is a little handy little device called a fasciitis fighter. So you can look that, uh, Google that one. Um, but what that does is you put that underneath the big toe. And what that does is it forces the big toe um, to, to bend back. Uh, and this is similar to like our stretch, you know, when we're yanking and pulling this big toe back here. And what that does is it actually activates what's called the windlass mechanism. And, uh, and this is part of the action of the plantar fascia is it helps to uh, make that um, by the contraction, bring the big toe up. It actually puts the plantar fascia under tension and it creates a nice rigid lever of the foot for, for us to push off on. So what we're doing is when we're doing this, uh, this modified calf raise is we put something underneath the big toe there. And then we're raising up on our as high as we can and, and back down to back down to uh, to return there. Uh, and that's done at a slow pace. You're going up for three seconds, pause at the top for two seconds, then you're lowering down again for three, pause again, and then you're just going to repeat up and down there. Now, what they did was they did what they actually did in uh, in Rathless study, they did a, a heavy, heavy um, set. So what they do is they start off with uh, three by 12 reps. And so what that meant is they'd get to 12 reps. And if they felt like they could still do more with their body weight, well, then they were, they were, you know, told to put a backpack on, put, 
backpack and, and put some books in there or hold onto some weights or a bucket or something that just weighed something just to make it challenging. So what they did was they did that for two weeks and then they went down to four by 10 reps for four weeks. And then they went down to, to five by eight and they only did that three times a week. So, and what they found was they found they compared the difference between the, the, the stretching group to the strengthening group and they found pretty similar results actually. They found that uh, the strength group were a little bit ahead at, at three months, but, but, but later on down the track at 12, they both had a, a pretty good improvement. So I think there's, there's uh, you know, that's good news for us in that, that there's, there's options here. Um, how I'll tend to use that, uh, that research um, is I'll tend to um, look at the patient and figure out, you know, what they what they want to do, what they're likely to do, and also what they need to do. So if we find, for instance, if if the the the, the patient is is lacking that big toe mobility, so they actually need a little bit of mobility there, then we might actually get them to uh, to to do that. Um, if it's to do the stretching, uh, if it's someone that's not particularly act, you know, they're not active, they're not doing anything, which I hope everyone is. Um, but if they're not to, if they're not exercising, they don't really want to do anything. Well, look, you know what, doing the stretch is probably easy for them. Uh, the downside is it's a bit of time you know it takes uh, takes 300 you know it, uh, whatever that is 300 seconds a day and that's every day to be to be doing that stretch so it's a bit it's a bit of time commitment there with that um on the and some people don't like it some people you know find it feels a bit uncomfortable to pull their big toe up there it feels a bit uncomfortable on their uh, on their first toe joint so um so that's the, the that option there uh the second one is is then with the strengthening so i'll tend to give that for people that actually are lacking strength uh and we often you know i see that a lot in in, rec in a lot of recreational runners i, I see that they, they often have insufficient calf strength anyway so you know what we might as well work that at the same time get that uh, build that strength in the calf build that strength in the plantar fat build that strength in those those foot muscles there as well so those small little foot muscles there um, and actually uh, work on that so the downside to that one uh, it requires um, equipment but you know as I said you can use a backpack with some books and and uh, um, uh, and a um, you know a bucket so it's really not that hard for, for people to uh, to do at home and it only needs to be done three times a week so my preference is to try and steer people towards a strength training because I think there's there's other benefits that, uh, that come out from that but you can always do both as well so you can always add them add them both into the uh, into the mix so they're, they're both sort of handy home advice exercises that you can get people doing either going the, the strengthening the stretching or the uh, or the or both you've said some really great things there and i'm just writing notes down for uh for myself <laughs> here uh first of the firstly we'll make sure we get that rathless study you mentioned uh out with the podcast so that we'll send that out with the link uh for, for members to have a look at at some stage uh the the strengthening exercise, which was uh, really intriguing about having that um, big toe extended as you're doing that toe press and mm. uh, making sure you're activating the, that windlass mechanism, I think yes, it's called, uh, that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, mm. Do you measure their strength initially by seeing if they can do a, a single leg toe press? Is that your sort of go-to <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's a really good question. So I mean, I'm lucky that I've got I uh, got access to a lot of different tech in the in the clinics. So I've got things like force plates where I can check strength of, of the foot the foot muscles and also with the with the calf. But uh, we've spoken about before on our on our running episode and and a really easy one for, for people to do at home is uh, is calf raise to fatigue. Um, and we've sort of gone through the the protocol how to do that. But essentially, what you want to get them doing is standing on one leg and uh, and raising up and down as many times as 
they can, keeping the beat. So just going to the metronome of up one second, down one second, and doing as many as they can. Uh, and ideally, you know, across the across the the average average across ages and 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 sexes is to get to twenty five reps. So that's sort yep. of what we want to see, and no more than 10 percent difference from from side to side. So it's a really easy one that people can use to to assess that calf strength. Uh, and you do often see that in in those with plantar plantar uh, fascia and uh, issues will will have a, a, a decrease in strength there. So um, that's a really easy one. Uh, another one you can use for the feet at home as well too is actually just doing things like being able to spread the toes. Um, so being able to open up the toes there. So imagine trying to fan them out as, as wide as you can. And another one I like to call toe yoga is, is basically you have your feet on the floor and you lift your big toe up by itself you let it relax down and then you lift all your other toes up off the ground by themselves and let them relax down. You can see if you see if you can alternate and you get some funny looks on, on people's faces when they try and get those things coordinating and realize that they actually don't have control of them anymore. So, um, so that's a, a good one for, for a good uh, home test as well, or one that you can use in the clinic to sort of assess that, uh, assess that foot function. And so then could it follow for the, for the actual strength exercise instead of necessarily doing it with weights on backpack and so forth, could you just do it as a single leg raise or a single foot rather than double? Would you uh, prescribe exercises like that as well? Yeah. So I should, sorry, I should have mentioned before that that is done single leg. So right. yeah, you're doing it one, one leg at a time, one leg at a time there. And you, you usually find that people at least can do a few, should be able to get 12 out um, with body weight. Uh, if they're not, then, then you can get them sort of, you know, doing the, uh, using the, the opposite leg to, to help out a little bit. But um, if they're, unless they're really deconditioned, most people can get to, uh, should be able to get to 12 reps on, on one leg. And I think this is a really important, I mean, not only is it a far more comprehensive way to help manage these sorts of issues, but I think it's also great for people to be focusing on something other than just their pain and really sort of be thinking in terms of function. Chiropractors say we're all about improving well-being by addressing function and not just pain. And I think that really helps um, dial someone into where they really need to be in terms of their performance their body performance whether they're an athlete or just someone wanting to you know remain youthful for as long as they can Absolutely. And I think, you know, the good thing about that too, is it, it gives you objective markers as well that you can, you can, uh, you know, you can assess, you give them a number uh, and then you can watch their and follow their progress. And, you know, patients are really excited when they see that they're able to get from, you know, from 18 reps right up to, you know, to 27. So it's, it's a really good, uh, really good sign as well as seeing improvement in their symptoms as that, uh, as that, that, um, that improves as well. Just as a, a thought, do you use um, FizzyTrack or programs like that to help people stay on board with their with their exercise? Yeah, I do. I think they, they are very useful. So there's there's uh, there's a few around um, which are, which are great. So there's uh, there's E reps, there's uh, there's FizzyTrack, um, and uh, for those that aren't aware, these are, are web based platforms, and a lot of them have um, uh, iPhone applications as well, where you can prescribe their rehab in there. And, uh, and then they can, they can go that. I mean, I used to, years ago, used to use uh, Google Sheets and, uh, and send that in an email and that could work quite well too. So that's also another, uh, another low cost option um, that people can do. Uh, just, having, just having it in writing. Um, I think, you know, telling people, uh, patients forget stuff all the time. And I, I know I always say on my initial consult, I'll say, look, I'm going to send you an email that summarizes everything that we've gone through that you need to be doing. Uh, and then I have every sort of follow-up where we're changing rehab, you know, we'll change that in their online program but then also following that up with it with an email too i think is is really important to uh to help um help with compliance definitely and i think understanding how people are motivated 
to really get that compliance going. I know some of those uh, software programs that you mentioned, you actually log in the video or the picture is there for you and that they just mark when they've done it. And I know many people are not going to be bothered doing that, but some people like that routine. I'm just thinking about my wife uh, who uh, (laughs) is terrible at drinking water um she's a she's a camel sometimes it's amazing but she's focused what she has to do is actually have the water out there in front of her and no one's allowed to drink her water because at the end of the day she has to see that happen and so i guess it's about understanding what motivates people and um giving them options Absolutely. Yeah. And tracking adherence is, is good. And, and yeah, as you said, it depends on, on, uh, on what motivates them. I mean, uh, you know, I see a lot of, a lot of runners in there often type A personality, they're, yes. they're motivated. So if you give them a number they need to get, or, you know, say, this is what you need to be doing, then, then, uh, you know, they're, they're generally pretty compliant with that and say all the time, but, but uh, yeah, it is a matter of, of figuring out. And, and, you know, that's where it comes down to, you know, chatting to the patient about what they, what they want and, and where they want to get to. And that that's very important for even managing a condition like this is well, where do we where do we need to get to you know do we need to be able to get to running a marathon or do we need to be able to get to you know running after the grandkids or you just want to get out of bed not feeling like you're you know 20 years older so yeah. that's all really important stuff that we you talk about on that uh, on that, that initial consultation and i suppose it goes without saying that your approach to this you're still going to do the usual things that chiropractors do you're still going to check the hips the pelvis the rest of the biomechanical frame and make sure the spine is working as best it can be Absolutely. I think that's, uh, you know, one of the advantages of, of, uh, of, of us chiropractors is that the, the uh, recognition and, uh, um, and the understanding of that kinetic chain. So it's, it's really important, you know, looking at the opposite side and making sure that things are functioning there as well. So still use my motion palpation and adjusting mobilization, hands-on treatment. I still, I still will use as, as part of this. I think that can be very useful for, um, especially for, for those that have got, uh, you know, quite tight in through the calves and stiffen through the ankles there. And, you know, they can often get to get some, some good pain relief with, um, with, uh, that, that soft tissue release or mobilization or adjustments around the, the, the feet and the ankle there as well. So no, I, I think that um, providing a, a hands-on or combining a hands-on approach with a, with an active care approach is, uh, is, is my preferred method. Um, and, uh, and that's what I, what I use for, uh, for, for this and, and many other conditions as well. Very good. Now let's talk about um, ACE now, the Australasian Institute of Chiropractic Education. You're the, the chair of the sports and exercise clinical practice group. How's it all going uh, with that up to this point in time? Yeah, great. It's, it's, it's going really well. We, we um, you know, things are continuing uh, momentum building through there. There's a continued interest, you know, people asking lots of questions, people jump, jumping on board, um, people after, you know, looking down the, the, the titling process. So there's a lot of, a lot of uh, activity going on at the moment uh, up front and, and also uh, behind the scenes as well. So a lot of uh, additional work for, for us. And I certainly thank, uh, mm. thank uh, Lorenzo and, and uh, Lorenzo Campagna and, and uh, Luke Curry for doing a lot of the work there for uh, on the, the sports and exercise side of things, but um, but no, look, it's a it's a really exciting, really exciting uh, venture that uh, that ACA. Uh, have invested into uh, now over the last uh, the last twelve months, and and uh, with more groups uh, um, being involved down the down the track, it, it really is the the future of uh, of our profession. So, um, yeah, we're obviously putting uh, time and, and work into that to get that uh, to continue to develop things there. So the sports and exercise group is obviously a very um, large group. There was quite a, pe- a lot of people interested in this right from the get-go. Tell us a little bit about the different member categories. And I know this is the same across all the other uh, groups, whether it's uh, the sports, whether it's pediatrics, neurorehabilitation, uh, wellness and lifestyle, et cetera. But um, how, do this, how does the categories work? 
Yeah, so you've got three categories. You've got um, you've got your member, your member level, then you've got your titled member, and then you've got your fellow. So the member level is is really where most people will sit, uh, and that's where people have been before. So they're people that have got an interest in in sports and, and exercise chiropractic. Um, they may or may not want to go on to, to titling down the down the track, but they just want to be part of the part of the community and they want to learn things. But then there's the the option for those that are in that member category to then pursue further learning and we provide that environment for them and also that structure that they can then go on to become a titled member uh, and to achieve that titling member then requires a, a number of uh, um, different qualifications and, and experiences from practical experience to speaking experience um, to research experience so we, we sort of want to want to try and develop a, a, a nice um, uh, a well-rounded or at least sort of people have an idea of certain paths who don't need to be an expertise in, in, in all of these, but certainly at least a, an, an understanding of, of these different uh, facets. Uh, and then from there, um, people then may go on to, to progress to be a, to be a fellow down the, uh, down the track. But we've got to say that most of the, most of the interest at the moment is, has been from the, the title member. Uh, obviously, the advantage to that is it allows you to use the title of uh, sports and exercise chiropractor. So mm. uh, that's something that has not been available in, in our country to use before. Uh, and uh, but um, thankfully, it, it is now uh, under, uh, under ACE. So, yeah, there's been a lot of interest and a lot of questions asked about that too. Yeah, look, it really is, I think, a sign of a maturing of a profession when we move into these areas of specialty and give recognition to people who really have spent time, money and uh, an effort in really honing their skills in, in particular areas. So uh, I think it can only do great things for the for the profession going forward. So for people who want to find out more, whether it's to join the sports and exercise clinical practice group or another, where's the best place to go? Yeah, jump on the, the ACE website. So aice.org.au. Uh, there's a, a whole list of information on, on there. So if you, if you look up the, uh, the CPG uh, clinical practice group and then under sports there, it's got a list of all the entry, entry requirements there. So you can have a look and see. Um, at the moment, we're in what's called a grand a grandparenting phase. So that means that we're, we're making exceptions for, for um, people not having certain things. Um, but, um, but within a few years, uh, those... those um, conditions are going to be tightened so there's, there's never going to be an, an easier time it's not uh, still not a a, uh, a simple thing to uh, well it's not a uh, something that's that's um how, how is the saying uh something that is is worked hard for is is i guess respected but uh, we want to make it challenging enough um uh, for people to uh, that it, it means something um but obviously not too challenging that, that people feel that they can't uh, they can't achieve it so um jump on the website have a look through all the different criteria there see what you want to do uh, if you just want to you want to be a member we would be more than happy to have you as part of the uh, part of the community uh, and then just uh, if it's a matter of then applying and clicking on the application process Fantastic. And you can also get to that ACE website via the ACA website, which is cairo.org.au. Uh, well, mate, look, it's been a great uh, ch uh, chatting with you again, Luke. Um, you've really, you make it, um, all the podcasts I do with you, I always have a few little gems in there that I just know that I can put straight into practice um, next week. And for that patient that was trying to ring before. So uh, we'll, we'll get to them as well. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, Luke, thank you so much for your time and well done with all you do for the profession, mate. Thanks very much, Anthony. Thanks for having me again. Well, that's it for me. I hope you've enjoyed uh, listening. I hope this podcast has been helpful in your quest for excellence. And I look forward to chatting with you again on our next ACA podcast. <music>